This morning, we're going to be back in the book of Colossians. So, if you have your Bibles, feel free to open it up to Colossians chapter 3. One thing I love about going through a book like Colossians is that we can spend an entire Sunday on just two verses. And that's what we're going to do here this morning. So uh, for those of you who didn't get the announcement last week or uh, read the blog or the messenger, uh, we're going to be skipping over a section of Colossians because Matt preached on it uh, actually on December 31st of last year. So just a few months ago. So if you want to he- listen to that sermon, um, it's really important. It's, it's crucial to understand not only our union with Christ, but how our union with Christ motivates us to put sin to death and to put on uh, not just Christ's righteousness, which he's given to us, but how we are supposed to live as Christians. So you can find that sermon on our website in the blog. It's Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. But this morning... We're going to be just in verses 18 and 19. We're going to be talking to husbands and wives specifically, but it has implications for the entire church. So, if you will, please stand with me as I read God's Word. All right. Colossians 3. I'm going to start in verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is indeed a section in which we want the word of God to dwell in us richly. Because outside of our relationship with you, it addresses the most important relationship if we are in that, and that is the husband-wife relationship. In Ephesians, you says this is this mystery is profound because it it gives us a glimpse and illustrates of, of Christ's love for his church. So this is a a, a pinnacle, a, a high peak in all of Scripture. So may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. If we're single, Lord, may we wrestle with these truths and look for these truths if we have a desire to be married in the, in the, in the spouse that you will bring towards us. And if we are married, Lord, we know living in a Genesis 3 world, there's ups, downs, and all arounds, and some have maybe gotten in arguments on the way to church this morning. Um, that happens quite often in, in many of our lives. But then also, we also understand that some are, are on a green pasture in, your, in, in their marriage and things are going well. This is a, a great reminder in Colossians chapter 3 of what you have designed, ordained as a blueprint for a husband-wife relationship. And for that, we're thankful. We're also thankful for the, the men and women who have given their lives uh, in support of this country that served in the military over the numbers of years that our country has uh, been established and that many men and many women and uh, young men and young women have given their lives for our freedoms and that we are extremely grateful and thankful. We live in the greatest nation on the planet and Lord, we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead, have a seat. All right, got the Memorial Day crowd here. Yeah, which is which is good. I'm surprised any of you guys showed up, you know. 
uh, a three-day weekend. I know many of you work hard and, and take advantage of those long weekends. You, it's a day of rest and rejuvenation, so hopefully you guys get Monday off. Those of you that well, that you, you celebrate it and you rest and it rejuvenates you with friends and family. Uh, and, and again, remember those who have uh, given their lives so that we can celebrate. Well, good. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21 um, actually, we're just going to be doing 18 and 19 today. And I want to start off with a question. You've probably all heard the saying that there are two things that are certain in life. They are death and taxes, or taxes and death, depending on which one you put it. Yeah, And I'd say, yep, I agree with that. But there's also a third thing that we can guarantee uh, if we are a human being, and that is that we live in relationships, that we are relational, that in our lives, relationships is going to be a part of our lives. Now, some obviously are going to be as simple as, how can I take you? How can I take your order today? Or what would you like to eat? There's a relationship there, and we give them what we want to eat at a restaurant. It's shallow. It's not there, but there's relationship. There's interaction. And then we come to relationships such as the husband-wife where they're, they're deep and they're wide, and there's uh, highs and there's lows. But we have been created for relations. We are relational creatures. Therefore, when Paul wants to illustrate what it looks like to be in Christ, to be united in Christ, um, he, he, he goes to the most important relationship outside the Christ and uh, church relationship, our individual relationship, and that is the, the family relationships, the husband, the wife, the parent, the child. And then he goes outside the family and talks to, this is what it looks like to be an employee or an employer in the workplace, what it looks like to bring the gospel there. And so that's what Paul is illustrating to us now. He's given us two and a half or great chapters on doctrine, on theology, on who Christ is and his majesty, his supremacy, his... uh his uh, creativity, his sustainability in providing and creating and sustaining by his word, this creation. He's the, the head of the church. He's the savior of the church. And then it's translated into, um, uh, there's some false teachings in the church that he addresses. It's, it's Jesus plus legalism, Jesus plus traditions, Jesus plus something else. And he hammers that home. It's no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And here he derives, now what does this theology look like? What does it look like to live out this redemptive gospel change uh, in our heart? We've put off the old self and we put on the new. So what does it look like to engage in relationships? And this is what Paul addresses in Colossians chapter 3. In these relationships, Paul wants us and the Colossians this morning on to what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? What does it look like in our relationships to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing much fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? What is the blueprint? What does it look like? How should we live? Well, he addresses that in verses 18 and 19. And we see, again, there's two relational categories that Paul highlights for the family and the work. Family and work. And today we're just going to look at the family. It's going to be part one. I was going to do the husband-wife plus the, the parent-child, but there's so much in this that I've separated into two parts. So today we're just going to focus on the husband-wife. Next week we'll focus on the parent-child. And then the next week after that we'll focus on the relationship in the workplace. So let's uh, dive into this right now. And before we really get into verse 18, I want to make sure we're all on the same page in the context of who Paul is addressing in Colossians. He's very specific on who these commands are for, and not only, um, who these commands are for, but the importance of obeying them, of following them, of understanding them. So first we see the verses, he's addressing Christians, not the world. 
He's addressing Christians, those who have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transformed into the kingdom of light through repentance and faith of what Christ has done. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who Christ is addressing. He's addressing us, those Christians, those who repent and trusted in him. Notice the phrase throughout these verses in verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord. Look at verse 20. Uh, This pleases the Lord, verse 22, fearing the Lord, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, verse 25, you have a master or Lord in heaven that we are to follow. So he's addressing Christians. He's addressing those that have, again, repented and trusted in Christ. So if you're a Christian in the morning, if you have done that, these verses are for you and for me. Uh, at first, in, in our vertical relationships, how we talk about here, our vertical relationship has been uh, informed. We have been reconciled to Christ because of his righteousness and what he has done on the cross for you and me. Therefore, our horizontal relationships now can walk accordingly to his word and can be joyful and fruitful. Colossians 2, 6 says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. Or live, that word walk is another word for this is how we should live. Live in the Lord, rooted and built it up in him and established in the faith. So that's the first thing. This is for Christians. Secondly, the importance to understand and obey them. To understand and obey them. I've been in ministry for you know over 28 years at a number of different levels and counseled thousands of people in relationships. And there's one of the main things that this, this passage points out. Um, that I've learned over the years in these counseling relationships is this. Relationships struggle. Relationships suffer when God's ordained blueprint is rejected or set aside or reinterpreted to what other than what God has intended it. That's what I've seen over and over again when there's relational struggle. Husband, wife, parent, kid, employee, employer, friends, is that we reject God's ordained blueprint clearly revealed in Scripture. And so when the Lord's ordained blueprint of relationships is rejected or, again, cast to the side or worse yet, as I've mentioned, rewritten to our own human personal feelings, chaos, sin, pain, suffering will soon follow. And, 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 and we all have probably felt that at some degree in our relationships. That when we, we know God's word and when we do something other than obey God's word, when we disobey God's word, we want our, our way to be right, saying the husband-wife relationship, and we're going to stand on that and our pride gets up, we know that pain and suffering that it can cause. Notice this phrase, and remember this statement. Bad things happen when we reject God's design for relationships. Bad things happen when we reject God's design for relationships. But the opposite is true. Good things happen. Blessings happen when we walk in God's ordained relationship design. And we need to look no further than the ultimate example of what a relationship should look like, and that's in the Trinity, right? The Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. We see the ultimate relationship, the perfect relationship in the Trinity. And there's mystery behind this, but we see that as God has ordained his relationships and the roles that they are each to play to bring out the plan of salvation, it's blessing. It's good, not only for them, but also for us. Think about salvation. God the Father elects, Ephesians 5 says. He ordains people to come to faith. He plans out the steps of the way of man. And then Christ's role is to redeem that, to reconcile that, to come and to live a perfect life in your place and mine, to die on the cross and then be raised again. And the Holy Spirit is sent to what? To seal that truth in our hearts. 
And when we see that when people, when the Trinity is operating according to its ordained purpose, there is blessing and salvation. And that filters down to you and to me this morning. So that's the second important thing, that this, we should understand and obey God's ordained relationship. So first we're going to look at the wives. We begin with the family. Wives submit like Jesus in verse 18. Again, over the next couple of verses, we're going to look at God's ordained blueprint uh, for marriage and, and its relationship to husband-wife. And I want you also to remember this phrase. If your Christianity doesn't work in the house, if your Christianity, your faith, your belief doesn't work in your husband-wife relationship, then it doesn't work. So don't share it. But the flip side is true. If your Christianity... If your belief in the gospel and what he's given us as commands works, you follow those, not perfectly, of course, but you obey those, this is your desire, you're going to see the Lord work and do tremendous things in your marriage. Grow you, there's going to be blessing, there's going to be joy. And that you should send out. That you should share. Because God's going to use you to impact his kingdom. So, If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you are in the Lord in your family, then this is what your marriage should look like. These are the characteristics that should guide and direct your marriage. That people should look at your husband-wife relationship and say, hmm, I see these characteristics, these attributes in your marriage. Is it going to be perfect? Of course it's not going to be perfect. And that's where the gospel comes in. But this is Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, we're familiar with some of these phrases. We've taught through this a number of times in a number of different scriptures, scriptures throughout um, the, the uh, life of the crossing. And we're familiar with this. But some of you maybe haven't heard that. Or some of you are still kind of struggling since when Daniel read the message, when you heard wives submit, you, you haven't heard anything else said since then, right? Because you've, it, it creates some, some, some stuff in your heart. And, 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 and maybe rightfully so. Maybe you've seen this been abused because it has been abused in the past. We'll touch on that in a second. But then also, many of you that have been a part of the crossing or a part of good gospel-saturated, Bible-believing, solo scriptura churches have not only been taught this, but you've experienced it. You've experienced the, the goodness and the, and the faithfulness of the Lord when you as a, as a wife submit to the leadership of your husbands. And you should know this to be true. And it's a good reminder. This doesn't, you, you want to hear this. You want to be bathed in the word of God to remind you of the goodness in the Lord in our relationships and what he has and how he has designed them to be. Um, for most men, when they first get married, this is probably the first, one of the first verses that they memorize, right? And, uh, wives submit to your husbands, right? What's funny is, and we do some premarital counseling with a number of different couples. We even do it with, with non-believing couples to share the gospel with them. And even non-believers know this verse in particular the men. And so we have to kind of explain to them what it does mean and not mean. That's what we're going to talk about today. But but first, I'd like to point out what the submission and authority are a part of everyone's lives in here, whether you're single or whether you're married. We know that submission and authority is good. It's good for us as a society to have order, um, to have some people leading, to have some people following. It's, it, it happens in every day of our lives. Some are in leadership positions and some are in authority positions. Both of us go through both of those relationships on a daily basis. We all submit to stoplights coming here this morning, right? Y'all stopped on the red and you went on the green. I was going to use the, the speed limit that we all follow the speed limit, but I broke that this morning, so I'd be a liar and I'd have to confess to you. We, we all go to the gas pump and we submit to the prices at the gas pump, right? 
They set the price, we submit to it. Uh, Students submit to their teachers, employees submit to their employees, athletes submit to their coaches. And here's the thing about submission and leadership and authority is that throughout the day, I've already mentioned this, throughout the day, we we flip-flop from both of them. Right? Uh, so you men, you're married, you, you're married, and then you, you're the authority, you're the leader, you're the head, you're to guide the family. But then 10, 10 minutes later, you're in the workplace, and what are you? You're the employee. You're the one who is serving. You're the one who is submitting. Why is the same thing? You're called to, to, to follow your husbands and submit to your husbands, and yet if you have children, you're the authority over your husbands. So we wear both these hats right away. Some of you ladies might even work, and so you go from a place of, of um, uh, a submission in the home, but then you have at your job, you're, you're responsible for some leadership, and, and you are the one that has the authority. Uh, kids, kids in, in school, you know, maybe maybe you're in student council, and, you're, and you have the high school teacher that's responsible responsible for um, the whole class and being the uh, sponsor for the student council, yet you're the president of the student body, so therefore you have authority and leadership. So we are, we are all constantly under submission and authority. It's good. It brings stability. It brings blessing. It brings order to our society, and it's good. And so those are good words. So let's first acknowledge that, that submission is a good thing. It's a good quality given to us by the Lord. Uh, secondly, uh, ladies, a biblical submission does not mean that you are inferior or superior to males, right? Does not mean that. We, we all know that we've all been, been created by God in Genesis 1, that God created male and female, and he created us in the same image of God, right? We are both created in the image of God. Our identity is not distinct in male and female. We are one. Our, our, our worth, our, our value our identity, our dignity, again, is equal in men and women. But we do have different roles to carry out. In Sunday school, a third grade girl was asked this question about Adam and Eve and creation. And she answered it. And she said, who created Adam and Eve? And she answered it. And she said, well, the Lord made Adam first. And then a couple of days later, he says, I can do better. So he made woman, right? He made Eve. So you're not superior, ladies. But you're also not inferior. You're also not inferior. Um, again, there's roles in which we carry out. And the certain roles that men have and the certain roles that uh, women have are different. Husband and wife have different roles. Why? So there's order and there's stability. Different roles, again, does not mean that you're inferior. All again, we look back to the Trinity. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The head of Christ, the authority over Christ, it says, is God the Father. Isn't that good? Ladies, that should bring you comfort. Why? Because we see Jesus Christ, fully God, right? Fully equal with the Father in the Trinity, as we just described. Yet he submits himself to the plan of the Father. It's good. And we would no way say that Jesus is inferior to the Father. Why? Because that would be blasphemy. That would be blasphemy to make Jesus lower than God the Father. So we see that this is good. In fact, not only does Jesus submit to the Father... But the Holy Spirit submits to God the Father and God the Son. So we see that there's order again in submission. So it's good. You're not inferior or superior. So let's quickly just talk about what submission does mean and does not mean. Again, some of this might be reminders for you. Some of this might hurt for the first time. Uh, The word hupotasso, submission, means to line up under. It's a military term. Not in uh, maybe action the way it's carried out in our military, but with with regard with order, with regard to function. There needs to be some structure for us to uh, operate in. Again, not with worth. 
But today, when you hear that word submission, if you go out there and you just stand up and see his used campus and you say, women, submit to your husbands, um, there might be a little bit of controversy. There might be a little bit of a, a, a objection to that, right? Why? Because uh, the world has taken a good word, a biblical word of submission and flipped it on its head. Most times when women hear the word submission, they think oppression, right? Oppression. That's what they equate with submission. And again, I have to pause and acknowledge something. That inside the church and outside the church, men have abused their authority. They have abused their leadership. And they have oppressed women. They have ruled with a heavy hand. And that is not biblical. That is straight from the pit of hell. And as man, as a man, and as a husband, I would ask for forgiveness to you for that. Because that is not how God has intended it to be. Submission does not mean oppression. I love when Rita and I do uh, premarital as my wife, Rita. I let Rita really take the, the reins and run with this uh, to explain this truth. Um, and I love how she says it. Again, the, the people out in the world think that submission means that this, that the husband has the right, that the husband has the right in the command to make me do something that I don't want to do. The husband has the right to make me do something against my will. And again, that is wrong. That is absolutely false. That is not what the word submission means. In fact, biblical submission is the exact opposite. Biblical submission is defined as this, as a joyful, voluntarily yieldedness to a recognized authority. In other words, when you submit, ladies, it is by your will that you submit. It's voluntary. You are yielding yourself to your husband, and you do it with joy. It's your choice to submit to your husband. Now, single ladies in here, those that desire to get married, one of the top five qualifiers or questions you should ask yourself to the man that you might marry is, can I voluntarily give myself and submit and come under the leadership of this man? If it is not an absolute yes, then this is not the man for you. You hear me, single ladies? This is crucial because God's command to you is you're going to come underneath your husband's leadership. And so make sure you can do that before you say, I do. It's kind of like, it's kind of like driving a car on a road trip. Take this illustration. There's one driver, that's the husband, and there's one co-pilot, that's the wife. And you, you agreed on the destination that you're going. And you both are engaged and have roles in which to make that trip a, a good trip, a trip of joy, a trip of blessing. And the first thing is that you recognize is there only needs to be two hands on the steering wheel, not four. Get that? That's a great illustration. When I read that, well, that's a great illustration. There only needs to be two hands on the steering wheel, not four. Because if there's four hands on the steering wheel, at, at least it's just it's going to take you forever to get to the destination. At worst, you guys are going to wreck and crash and burn badly, right? So 
Two hands on the steering wheel, not four. One is the driver, the other is the co-pilot, helping with directions, uh, getting snacks. I mean, when we go on road trips, we're always just like, you know, we'll go, we'll stop in, we'll order some food, and I grab the bags of, of lunch to feed our, you know, our horde, and I, I give them to Rita, then I, I get on the road and she starts passing stuff out, man. We're complimenting another. We're, 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 we all have a part in the trip. I'm asking her for directions. She's guiding me with the GPS. Sometimes it works. <clears throat> Sometimes I got to use my man skills, my Jedi intuition uh, to get us there. Because Siri, not my wife, Siri is wrong a lot of the times. All right. Anyways. All right. But again, so submission, ladies, doesn't mean you're passive. It means you're engaged. Uh, you're using the gifts that God has given you to, to help your man, to, 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 to build him up and to help the family. It does not mean you stay silent. You, you are called to encourage your husband, to speak truth to your husband, also sometimes to rebuke your husband. You're called to teach your husband. I've learned more from Rita than any other person in the, in, in I've come in contact with. Constantly learning from her. Not only about life, but also how to, how to lead. Um, we'll make decisions. You, it's jointly. Um, we just had a major purchase this past week and, and, um, and we dialogued, we looked at our finances and, you know, I, I said, uh, Rita, I said, we will not do this unless you give me the full absolute on board. I'm okay. We can do this. Otherwise, we're not going to sign the papers. So right before we signed, I looked at, it, I was like, let's, let's talk. Where are we? Where are you? The ball's in your court. And she says, yeah, this is good. I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and do that. That's what a husband-wife submission looks like. You have a role to play. I love how Sam Storms kind of sums it up with a lot of different other things. He says this, why is this? An, it's your attitude and commitment that says, I delight for you, the husband, to take initiative, to take leadership in our family. Uh, and I will commit to support you as my husband in such a way that we may, that our family may reach its full potential. Uh, that may call, that may involve several things, he says, uh, making the home a safe place, freeing, uh, freeing the home from sinful influences of the world, striving to be dependable and trustworthy. And all these things are kind of outlined in Proverbs 31 and other places, uh, providing affirmation and encouragement, being loyal to him, being loyal to my husband inside and outside the home. And I've added something to that with my actions and words. One thing that, that my wife does extremely well and I'm so thankful for that I know when I go outside of my home and when I go to, to, to talk to many of you or to talk to others in society, she has never slammed me in front of others. You, I, you've probably never heard her slander me in front of others. Oh, Aaron sucks. He's a terrible husband. He's a terrible leader. He's terrible, 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 terrible. You never let that you never hear those words come out of her mouth. Why? Because she understands the importance to stand behind, submit, and, and, and build up myself and encourage me. This is fitting. This is right when we are walking according to the Lord's commands, it says. So, ladies, this is a great opportunity for you. Wives, today or maybe this week, um, ask your husbands a question. It's like, Husband, where, where do I do a good job submitting and where can I grow? And then and just sit and listen. And husbands, when you respond, 
First give her put-ups that we talked about. First encourage her. Show her where she's doing a great job and coming alongside your leadership and supporting you. But then also give her maybe one or two. Don't give her ten. Give her one or two things. Say, hey, but in this area, I think, you know, you could grow a little bit. Rita and I have these, these conversations uh, at least three or four times a year. And it goes both ways in our roles. She asks me how she's doing, respecting me and loving to me and submitting and, and, and carrying on my authority, and I do the same thing. Hey, how am I doing? I just asked her the other day, is there, is there something that I do that um, makes you angry or makes you, um, what's the word I use? Do you remember? I even forgot. All right, short-term memory loss. But, and, I, and I gave her the opportunity to speak into my life to see where I'd maybe be discouraging towards her. So this is good. So last is, so this is what submission is and what submission looks like for the lady. It's a good thing. It creates order and joy and blessing. And ladies, when you do that, you, you're going to see the fruit of your labor in this. The Lord will reward you. Men, number two, verse 19. Men love like Jesus. Women submit like Jesus. Men love like Jesus. This is what it looks like. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, again, this is another familiar portion of Scripture that we know. We know this verse. We know it from Ephesians chapter 5. It's almost the exact um, same order, word order, that we see in exact uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. The husband, it says in Ephesians, is called to be the leader, the authority of the home. That's our role. Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says that, that as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says the same thing. This is what Scripture says, right? This is a non-negotiable men and women. Men, you are called to lead your families. Women, you are called to allow your men to lead your families. This is not my take. This is what Scripture says. This is holy inspired Scripture written by um, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. And so we want to submit to this. So men, your role is to lead your wives, to be the head of her. Now I learned something about this word that I thought was just uh, was awesome about the word husband. Now when we think about the word husband, we think of it as a, as a married man married to a woman, right? And rightly so, that's what a husband is. It's a man married to a woman and covenant in marriage and giving themselves. And so that's when we think of husband. But I actually was reading this book. It was actually a book on, by Doug Wilson on how to raise boys, raise men. And he used this term husbandmen. Husbandmen. That's not an Aaron slur. It's a, it's, a, it's a real word that he says, right? Husbandmen. And so I was like, well, this is kind of a weird word. I've never heard this word before. So I did some studying. And it goes back to the, really this old English word. And even before that, it means this. One who cultivates the soil. It was used of farmers to, to cultivate the soil. It goes all the way back to Adam and his role in Genesis 2.15, where it says, Adam tended and cultivated the garden. So the word husband means to cultivate soil. Isn't that awesome? Even before God gave Adam Eve, his wife, he gave, uh, he gave Adam a job, and that was to cultivate and tend the garden. He gave him a very experiential lesson on what it's going to be like to love and serve your wife and lead your wife. You, you lead by getting your hands dirty. You lead by cultivating the soil, by, by digging holes, by um, you know, fertilizing it, by watering it, by pulling out weeds. You're, you're active, you're engaged. In John 15, 1, in the King James Version, which Matt pointed out is the only true version, um, if you were here last week, which is not true, but some believe anyways. It says this, it says this, John 15, 1. I am, Jesus, the true vine. And in the King James, it says, and my father is not the vine dresser, but says the husbandman. I'm the true vine, but my father is the husbandman. He's the one who cultivates the, the vine. 
And isn't that a great picture for what a husband should be? Husbands, do you see yourselves as a cultivator of soil with your wife? And what is the soil that we use to cultivate our wives? It's love. It's love. It's not the word love there. It's agape. It's that sacrificial. That's laying down our lives. Let's get our hands kind of dirty kind of love. It's the act of the will. Because the Lord has changed our hearts, now we can now sacrificially love our wives as, as Christ loved the church. It's not eros, the sexual love. That's not how we, we lead or serve her, although that's a part of it. It's not phileo, our brotherly love. It's not just friend. No, it's the, it's the overarching word that we give ourselves to our wives. I'm reminded of Psalm 128 where it says this, You shall eat the fruit of your labor, talking to men, of your hands, you shall be blessed. And what does your blessing look like when you labor and you eat the fruit? Is your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. You cultivate your wife. She's going to be a fruitful vine. She's going to be a blessing to you and to your home. So husbands, you are not your wife's dictator, as some might translate or think about this that way. You're not your wife's King Jun-un. Alright? You're not... She is not your slave. She is not there to serve your every need. It's not her role. It's not her job. In fact, it's just the opposite. You are the ones to lay down your life for her. You are the one to lead her, to engage her, to cultivate her and her soul with love. With love. You exist to serve and meet her needs first and foremost. And when you do that, she becomes a fruitful vine. And not only will you receive blessing, but the family will receive blessing as well. In God's blueprint of godly marriage, Ephesians 5 gives us a little bit deeper of kind of the, the responsibilities of what it looks like to cultivate our wife's soul. We are called to cultivate her spiritually, right? To wash her with the word. Um, prayer, through bringing her to gatherings, to putting her in places where she's getting around other godly women that are pouring into her. Uh, freeing her up to enjoy journey groups, discipleship, group, discipleship groups. So we're to cultivate her soul spiritually. We're to cultivate her soul emotionally. Emotionally. We're to, to cherish our wives. Uh, to encourage her, not discourage her. Uh, to build her up. To let her know that she is the one and only woman that has your attention and your thought and your act of the will. We're called to 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 physically nourish her, providing for her, protecting her, doing whatever it takes to lay down our lives. Why? So in the end that we present her holy and blameless. This is what it looks like to cultivate our wives. Now, those are big general terms, but let me, let me give you something real specific that I actually have been implementing the last two weeks when I heard like, how to do this. I thought, well, this is awesome. Okay, so I'm going to give it to you, man. So you guys better write this down. Even though it's a very four, it's only a four-letter word, you still probably need to write it down, knowing most of you, all right? It's so simple, but it's good. Again, it's not exhaustive. But John Piper brought this to my attention. He says, this is how you lead. This is how you love your wife. It's the four-letter word, L-E-T-S. Let's. Let's. Try this, man. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been trying to do this with my wife the last couple of weeks. Now my secret's out of the bag, but you'll see how it'll be a good thing in a second. All right, but such as this: you want to lead your wife spiritually? Hey, babe, let's let's get out the Bible and, and go through some scripture. Hey, hey, let, let let's pray. Let's let's pray about that right now, babe. Let's let's pray about that. Hey, let's make sure we you know we get to Sunday gathering. Let's let's make sure we get to life group. Let's let's make sure we. 
Let I free you up to go to a journey group? Let's. How about cherishing her? Hey, babe, let's, let's go out on a date tonight. Let, let's, let's, hey, let's talk about, you know, what's going on this past week. Uh, what, are, what are your dreams? What are your desires? Are we, you know, we, we, we wanted to do this. Where, where are you at now? Let, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your heart. How about physically? Hey, let's, let's go on vacation. Let's go enjoy good food. Let's go enjoy the mountains or whatever, whatever she loves to do. Let, let's go do that. Isn't that good? Try that. Try that men this week. That's a simple way in which we can engage and lead our wives. And you know what? It works. You know? It works. Like I said, I've been trying this on Rita last and, um, last couple weeks. And, and here's the good thing. Um, now that she knows about it, this is, this is where it's going to be beneficial for you, man, for your, for your wives, is that when you use that word let's, now when I use that word let's, she's going to be like, oh, Aaron's trying to love me right now. He's trying to pour into my soul right now. He's trying to lead me right now. So therefore, I'm going to submit. I'm going to submit. Why? Because I want to go out on a date and enjoy my husband. Isn't that great? Isn't that so simple, so tangible? So try it, man, this this next couple months and and let me know how it goes for you. I don't know why. Could those be some words that you guys want to hear this week? Hey, let's go out on a date. Wise, raise your hand if you think that might be a good thing to hear. Right? Yeah, good stuff. So this is what men are called to do. This is the the positive command. Men, cultivate your wives by loving her, laying down your life for her in in those areas and and others. But then Paul gives a strong, emphatic command that he doesn't give in in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's this. It's do not, do not, do not be harsh with your wife. Don't do it. Because it produces bitterness, strife, turmoil. You do not lead your wife with an iron fist. Lording over your God-given role. Trying her to do something through force. That's abuse. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. And needs to be called out. Do not be harsh with your wives. Physically. Or emotionally. Or verbally. Do not be harsh with your wives. Now we know we live in a Genesis 3 world. A fallen world. A sinful world. A broken world. And when sin entered into the garden. The very first relationship it attacked was the husband-wife relationship. Because the enemy knew that this is the most important relationship outside of Christ. And his relationship with the church. And here we see the second way a husband can lead harshly. One, we already talked about it, leading with an iron fist. But two, by neglecting the role to lead. And this is probably more prevalent in the church and outside the church as men are just advocating their roles to lead altogether. They're hands off. They're not leading the family. So therefore, the wife feels that she needs to get up and lead the family. Now, real quick side note, ladies. Make sure you're encouraging your man to lead and not discouraging her. And the biggest way you can discourage your husband not to lead is by challenging him on every single thing. Respect his role to leadership and cultivate the soil to him to lead. And don't always buck. Now, there's times you're going to need to buck, but not always. Just think about, you could probably picture the women 
uh, that, that you know in your circles of relationship that, I, that you know I'm talking about, that challenge your, your, their husband's authority or just leadership or respect in general. Don't do that. I'll get, cultivate uh, a, a ground, a soil for your men to lead. Encourage him. Don't discourage him. But men, it's your job to not advocate your role, but to lead. We see this, what happened in the garden. The reason why sin entered the garden was because Adam advocated his role. When the serpent came to Eve and Adam, Adam was right next to Eve. It says this in, in Genesis 3, 6. She took the fruit and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her. He was with her. I know some Christians want to kind of, you know, save Adam here and say, well, well, maybe Adam wasn't really around. You know, maybe he came later after the conversation and then Eve gave it to him. No, 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 no. Adam was with Eve. The serpent was there tempting Eve and he did nothing. What Adam should have done at that point when that happened is he should have stepped in front of his wife, put his wife behind her, protect her as a barrier from the enemy, and he should have chopped the snake's head off, right? That's what, that's what Adam should have done. But he didn't do that. He advocated his role. And sin entered the world because of that. He should have shielded her from danger. And he should have protected her. Now, because he advocated his role, he didn't lead. The wonderful marriage relationship became a war zone. So husbands, your number one goal, my number one goal, is loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And what's the second one? And your neighbor, right? Do you know who your first neighbor is? It's your wife. That's, the, that's your first neighbor who you're called to love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is your wife. You're called to protect her from anything or anyone seeking to destroy her, harm her, or deceive her. Lead your wife. Don't advocate your world. In Genesis 3.16, we see the outcome of Adam's failure. Failure at sin. And in particular, in Genesis 3.16, it says this, your desire, speaking to the wife, shall now be for your husband. That's not a sexual desire. That's not a happy desire. That word desire there means you want his role. You want to lead. And it says this, and that he, Adam, or the husband, shall still rule over you with an iron fist. So we see because Adam you know, didn't lead, sin came in, and now women want to lead, and men are still going to with an iron, rule with an iron fist. This is what's... Sin produces, and we're still seeing the effects of that today. Even in our own relationships, we see, we feel that, don't we? This is the war of marriage. This is the war of marriage. Wives want to lead and not submit, and husbands want to rule like a dictator. But here's the good news. The good news is that, that the God didn't leave us there, but he sent the gospel. He sent his son, Jesus. And this is who Paul is addressing. He's addressing Christians. He, he's addressing and, and, and says some great things in Colossians chapter 1, like this right here. He says, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. So in Colossians chapter 3, what we're reading in verse 19, 18, is the reversal of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, where, where women want to desire to rule and to lead. God says, because you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into light, women, your desire now is to submit. And be an encouragement and undergird your husband. Men, sin says, when sin came, you want to rule with an iron fist. Now we've reversed the curse because you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness and the dominion of light to what? To love and to cultivate. In fact, you're the one that serves your wife. She doesn't serve you. 
So you see how the gospel comes in. We only need the gospel for salvation to make our vertical relationship right with the Lord, but we need it so that we can engage and have a joyful marriage. Where our marriage isn't about war, but it is about the wonderful blessings that it brings and productivity. This is what the gospel does. When the gospel penetrates your heart and redeems us and reconciles us and now gives us new marching orders, new commands, and then empowers us by the Spirit and informed by His Word, all of a sudden our story doesn't have to be a wartime marriage, but a wonderful blessing. And the Lord will use you to show those that do not have Christ the absolute necessity and joy to have Christ in your life, to have an outstanding, great marriage. Now, do some non-believers have good marriages? Yes, they have good marriages, but not great marriages. You have great marriages when you understand the full potential of what God has designed in you. The only way you understand the full potential of what God has ordained and designed in marriage is if you have His Spirit and His Word, and you do that in community. That's what the gospel does. Husbands and wives, we now have the ability to walk. Walk in these commands and do it with joy but not begrudging, because we understand that this is God's ordained design, and when we do this, good things happen. The first good thing that happens is, one, you, have, you, you actually like your wife, and she likes you. Reed and I, as you guys know, we have five kids. We just graduated our third. We got two more. We got four years. Maddie is, the, is our, she just started high school, but in four years, she's going to be gone. And you know what? I'm going to be glad when all my kids are out of the house, all right? And it's not that I don't love my kids. I love my kids. I love, I love my kids. I'll do anything for my kids, but I love my wife more. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to have some fun, right? <laughs> Why? Because, because we have a, a good marriage, not because we're perfect. That's the first thing from the truth. She's Italian, I'm Italian. Her natural, yeah. So when, 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 when strife comes up, some, some people are retreaters. We are both fighters. And and it gets it gets pretty intense, huh, kids? Yeah. But because we have a good marriage because we understand God's ordain. And we've experienced the goodness of his word. And we experience the gospel. So when I fail as a leader, and I do rule with an iron fist, and Rita can call me out on it, because the gospel exists, I can repent. Because my identity is not built on my performance. It's built on what Christ has already done for us. So men, repent. That's going to be probably the toughest thing for you to do if you're a man, is to acknowledge your sin and to repent. But because of the gospel, you can do that. And when you do exercise the gospel in your marriage, your wife is going to trust you and she's going to give, yourself, give herself to you even that much more. And vice versa, women, when you buck and your husband says, you, you know, you're bucking right now, you know, same thing. Under the gospel, you can pause and be like, oh man, please forgive me. That's not my intention. And forgiveness will be extended. And you guys will grow closer and closer and closer together. This is what the gospel produces. You see, when we hear sermons on marriage, right, it's, it, the natural inclination is, oh, I hope my husband's listening to this right now, right? The natural inclination is, oh, I hope my wife is listening right now. But you, right, that, that's the... We, Raise your hand if you've done that already today. Go ahead and raise your hand. Let's be honest. Gospel situation, right? We all do that. I mean, even me preparing this message, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one for Rita. I hope she's listening, right? We can be honest here. And, and, and that's a natural tendency. And what we do is we tend to look at the speck in our spouse's eye. Meanwhile, we're you know, knocking them out with the plank in our, coming out of our own eye. 
And again, the gospel frees us up. If we're in Christ, we, we put off our old self, as Colossians 3 says, and we put on the new self. Why? Because it's not about our effort. It's not about our, our um, performance. It's about what Christ has done for us. So we can, we, can, we can acknowledge that we fall short in these areas and we need God's grace. We need his mercy to move in our hearts so that we can live it out in our will. And when you do that, again, confession, repentance, it grows you closer. It actually frees up the relationship to grow and not to spoil. So I'll just end with this question this morning. Do you want that? Do you want to have a good, joyful, blessed marriage? Of course you do. Do you want to continue to have that? Of course you do. Then ask the Lord. Come together with your spouse. Hey, let's pray about accepting and obeying and growing and cherishing and nourishing and cultivating our relationship together. Let's get on the same page and let's pursue first and foremost Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then let's love our neighbor as ourselves. So for the men and the women, for the husbands and wives, that's your spouse. And when you do that, when we do follow God's blueprint for marriage, we're going to see joy. We're going to see a godly legacy that's, that's led for generations. Amen? Let's pray.